case. Hope Not Hates are basically controlling Britain. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backward thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news crate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm Matthew McGregor and we've got a special episode today. Uh, it's a, a, a one issue uh, episode. We're talking to Matthew Collins, our head of intelligence, about Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland specifically, uh, and the impact of uh, uh, Brexit, no deal Brexit, and what's happening on the peace process. Matthew, thank you for joining us. That's my pleasure, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is my pleasure, obviously, always. Always, always. Um, hopefully people will be able to tell uh, from our accents which one's Matthew McGregor and which one's Matthew Collins. But um, because, uh, because I'm working class. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's 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 one thing. You're also from London. I don't sound like I'm from Norfolk anymore, but um, hopefully people will get a little bit of a lilt. But anyway, we're here to talk about um, an, an incredible interview uh, that you've done, um, which uh, we've just posted to our our website. Uh, you you interviewed um, some leading members of the Ulster Volunteer Force. <laughs> Not a phrase I use every day. Yeah, well, <clears throat> let's 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 caveat that with just so we're very clear um i went to i'm in east belfast and i met some people um one is an ex-prisoner one is uh once we described as a mediator for the uvf east, east belfast battalion uvf and the other one is the uh sort of social commentator the protestant unionist loyalist uh, social media commentator Jamie Bryson, who who denies being a member of the UVF, and also just to continue to make it slightly less sexy, even though I guess it is sexy. Obviously, um, nobody would admit to being a member of the UVF, would they? Because of the Turk. So, now let's just say I met representatives who could possibly give us an insight into the thinking of a three thousand strong militia in East Belfast. Lead, leading members of the. Uh, of, community of the community who have insights into the the thinking yeah. else to volunteer force. Why yeah. why did you go to East Belfast to to talk to those folks? Um, well, as as you know, I like a strange trip. Um, yeah, football, politics, music, or anything. I'll go anywhere other than England to enjoy it. But also, I think on a, on, a, on a serious note, we've heard since the uh, beginning of Brexit the potential ramifications of Republican violence. And I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to be addressing that in this very small series of, of articles and interviews. Um, but, you know, if we look back on the troubles, I hate that expression, the troubles in, in Ireland and, and, and Northern Ireland, um, we generally, the media focus on re Republican responses or Republican violence, and very little is given over to looking into loyalist paramilitaries, why they do what they do, why they did what they do. And, and of course, in this interview, what they're going to do, it's clear um, that the paramilitaries haven't gone away. We are looking at, and we have seen this year, two very high-profile murders, one attributed to the new IRA, which was, of course, the the murder of a uh, young woman, Lara McKee, in, in, in Derry. And the other was a murder attributed to the East Belfast UVF of a man called Ian Ogle. So 
paramilitaries are still there. And I, I, I think some of the loyalist paramilitaries, understanding them and their opinions and their attitudes, very, very under-investigated. And I think people potentially don't want to know or talk to them. But I thought it was, I thought it was important to do that. So to kind of phrase, they haven't gone away, you know? No, no, I don't think anyone's gone away. Um, one of the things that's in, in the interview, and this isn't in relation to the people that I met or spoke to or to anyone else, but just generally in the wider community, membership of paramilitary organisations is illegal in uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, but quite often uh, journalists do tap them up uh, without naming them for quotes, and quite often I think in the article, if it stays in or if it has stayed in, um, also that the police quite often will sit down with them over a table. So I imagine the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland don't particularly like having um, paramilitaries, but they they are there. And just on the weekend, the the statement from the UVF was in a private conversation. I, I understand, but they just said that with Brexit coming up, they don't think that UVF will, will disband. Now, of course, they signed the peace process, or they engaged in the peace process. There was a ceasefire in 1994. Then, you know, some years later, the Good Friday Agreement was signed. I think everybody assumed that paramilitaries would go away. I think the majority of them did disarm and then dissipate. But we still have, uh, you know, as obviously the, comes across in this interview and other things that we've, we've spoken about and we'll write about, there are still people attached to a variety of paramilitary organisations, whether they disarmed or not, they haven't disbanded. So I want to get on to talk about um, some of the really interesting insights in the interview about um, how the, the the loyalist community views Brexit and and the future that um, that might mean for um, the province. But just just give us a, a, a quick kind of um, uh, paint a picture of how on earth you ended up in this interview. How do you, how do you <laughs> Uh, I presume that people who understand the thinking of the Ulster Volunteer Force East Belfast Brigade don't have a press officer that you just call up and request an interview with. How did how did this come about? Well, there are there are people and there are ways you can um, talk to talk to individuals. They don't particularly have a press officer. I think Jamie Bryson, who you know, I think a lot of people on Twitter would have heard of him or seen some of his tweets. Um, I didn't know he'd be there, but he came along. He came along, but I went. I came back to the UK in 2003, and one of the first jobs I did was to go to Northern Ireland and cover um, violence against immigrant communities. The Chinese community were, were one particular community who were having a terrible time, and I worked with a group called NISEM, the Northern Irish uh, Council for Ethnic Minorities. And back then, they got me an interview with. David Irvine, sorry, David Irving, David Irvine, depends on, who was, as it turned out, apparently second in command of the UVF. He was also a member of the Legislative, Legislative Assembly. He was an MLA for his Belfast, his Belfast Lincoln. Um, probably the great and the only, I think, progressive loyalist voice we ever got to hear. And since then, I've maintained uh, friendships. I, I love it friendships but contacts with people in all the communities over there i don't you know i try and avoid doing that english thing where you go to ireland and you say let me sort this out for you. you've had a few problems over here for a few hundred years so i and i just find you know i just find all the stories quite quite interesting and so 
I went via intermediary and I said, I really, really would like to speak to the UVF. And they said, I could probably get you the East Belfast Battalion. And I said, oh, okay. And 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 that and that was basic. That was basically it. They not an interview. They not really uh, into giving interviews that way. They give comment. Um, so basically, they say I'm not going to give up my my tricks today. But yes, people who uh, obviously can't say they were members of East Belfast UVF, but they can say that they have insight and could give us uh, an insight into their thinking. Before we get on to where they think Brexit might take Northern Ireland, give us a quick rundown of, of where they stood on the, the referendum in, in, in the first place. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of months ago, and you, you recounted uh, your conversation with David Irving, where he said that Northern Ireland as a, as a, as a province within the UK could only survive as uh, um, the UK and, and being a member of the European Yeah, I think I, I think he yeah, he said um, as I, I asked him back then 2004 and I think 2005 it, it came up to that and um, no one ever thought the UK would have a referendum about EU membership. I think the Republic of Ireland had had two or three goes at it until they got it right and he said, he, he said basically obviously Irvin's position was that Northern Ireland would remain part of the UK forever and ever. Amen. And but he did say that he felt, you know, that the English would sell them out as quickly as, as possible. I think a lot of people think loyalists are sort of like little Englanders. They're not. They don't particularly. They don't particularly have much faith or love in the English. Um, and so he he said that he he saw the future of Northern Ireland. Uh, would be as a satellite, perhaps within within the EU, that the EU would would sort of guarantee its rights and its its survival. What's happened since then is, I think, obviously David o, David Owen passed away. There's been a number of changes in in that community. I think lack of really aggressive voices. Dawn Purvis took his seat, but she walked away from the UVS political wing, the PUP, and I, I think that sort of loyalist and unionist politics have been dominated by the DUP, who, of course, we know uh, back Theresa May's government. And I think a lot of their positions since then have, have probably hardened on a lot of things. I think a lot of, you know, Demi Bryson, who I spoke to, was very, very elo- eloquent on this issue and sort of knocked me off, off my feet a little bit. He said that um, his position was that since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, which of course guaranteed the rights of Irish nationalists and Irish citizens in Northern Ireland to uh, uh, live by and practice their nationality and identity and their wishes and, and their aspirations, and also the idea that one day by plebiscite there, there may be United Ireland. He felt that since the enactment of the Good Friday Agreement and all the things that came with it, the biggest losers have been uh, the Protestant Unionist and Loyalist community. Now, of course, he doesn't speak for all all that community at all. And there's plenty of Protestants and Unionists, and I would assume Loyalists who absolutely detest Jamie Bryce. But he said it quite quite succinctly that when he you know, when he went to school, he couldn't wait to leave school because it, you know, it was as good as guaranteed employment for gener- generations and generations of Protestant working class and, and, and Unionists. Um, they were just guaranteed by the privilege of being Protestant or being Unionist that they would get the jobs, the, in, the industrial jobs in places like Bombardier, uh, Shorts, um, Harlem and Wolf, places like that, that they were guaranteed jobs. And he said 
and because that the Catholic and nationalist community had been excluded from that sort of industrial work or industrial promise, that they'd gone into other avenues, furthered their education, and that he found himself in 2009 where the Protestant working class, their lives haven't improved, they haven't advanced, in fact, they've gone backwards, and that as he, see, he sees it, the judiciary, journalists in particular, and the media are dominated by uh, the Catholic nationalist community. And people might, people might uh, disagree with that, and I think one of the things I say in the article is it's also just a growing class of people there that have a progressive Northern Irish identity. But certainly, I was knocked off my feet uh, that Bryson could acknowledge that and, and talk about it. Um, but then, of course, we would diverge how we would deal with the causes of that. And his position would, would tend to be, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth because he, he can shout when he wants to, when you he, he annoy him. He thinks the, the, the way to do that is to sort of what he would sing, what things on a more equal footing would be that um, Northern Ireland would go with the UK and exit the European Union because they feel, they feel to quote uh, one of the other people in the interview said this, that the Irish government is just shouting at the British government about how to deal with Northern Ireland, how to deal with its people, how to deal with the aspirations of people that live there, and that the British government are potentially not as aware as they should be that there are people in the province, of course, who don't want to listen to the Irish government. One of the things that came out of the interview was, was extraordinary, because obviously we know that you know, we have to be careful about Labour and all Protestants, all Unionists and all Loyalists in a, in a, particular, in a particular way. But I was, a, I was a little bit shocked. You know, I work with people in Northern Ireland all the time, Protestants, Catholics, and they only tell you, you only know their religion if you ask. And, of course, you have to ask them what football team they support. If one of them supports Norwich, and you're very confused. But, um, I, 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 was, I was surprised about the level of sheer, I'm not going to say hatred, but disdain they had for the Irish Republic. Uh, the uh, and the the particular comment from Jamie Bryson, of course, who I, who I described. Well, I don't know whether he'd like it or not. But he's young Ian Paisley. They come from a different Protestant tradition, uh, obviously. But Bryson's, you know, we was talking about you know the border issue. That it's going to upset a lot of people, Protestant and Catholic, because it is one island and it's great to travel across an island. And uh, he said quite bluntly that he wanted a wall like the one Donald Trump wants to build between the United States and Mexico, and he wants a wall, and that he wants no one coming in and out, um, because he doesn't believe, as I understand it, he doesn't believe that people in the Republic of Ireland should have access to Northern Ireland or, or anything like that. Because the other thing is, of course, um, there's a growing Catholic middle class, and economically it may have more power. I think, you know, not talking about big house unionists, but it may have more uh, economic power than some of the some of the Protestant working class, and he says the only way to counter that would be to build a wall and keep people and, and keep people out. And so I laughed, I did laugh, but of course it, he's he's very very he's very very um, definite on that, and that and that's what he wants. And although I say people might not like Bryson, but that that tends to be uh, the voice that the voice that's coming out. Um, one of the other interesting comments was from an ex-prisoner uh, who was at the meeting. It was slightly less bombastic than Bryson. He was slightly older, slightly more experienced. Um, he said he would 
you know, rather than just build a big wall, he said he would like to have the Irish Republic as a good neighbour. And then he said something that I think probably a lot of people don't understand. He said, don't forget, we have lived in a country altogether before. You know, we've had a United Ireland before, and the experience of Protestants in a, in a United Ireland wasn't particularly good, I think, particularly after the the Irish War of Independence, I think Protestants, and then after wars, the First World War, I think, yeah, he, he pointed to the fact that the Protestant experience in a United, or in the Republic as well hadn't been particularly good. And so he went for the, the good name. But the other thing that stands out in that part of the interview is, of course, it's my opinion, not my desire, it's my opinion, that because um, I don't give uh, opinions, but it's my, it's my, that's a, it's my opinion. And I think a lot of people that Brexit seems to serve both, let's say, extremes. You know, the, you know, what it's, someone's going to get really, really badly burnt by, by Brexit. And there's two sides. I mean, I went after the meeting with the UVF. I went to a, a, a meeting of the Irish Left, which had. You know, a former um, IRA hunger striker speaking, and he was speaking in favour of Brexit. And he sees the outcomes of Brexit very, very differently to someone like Jamie Bryson. And his standout quote was that he sees Brexit as an opportunity to build an all-Ireland workers' republic. And of course, to someone like Jamie Bryson, uh, you know, it, you know I, I wish he'd have been at, he'd have been at the meeting. So someone's going to get really, really burnt by it. And one of the things, one of the other great quotes I think comes out of it is that the representatives who are aware of, of thinking in, in certain organizations said that were they ever forced into a united island or if they had to accept a smaller northern Ireland, which is something else that uh, some loyalists have spoken about I think John McMichael of the UDA wrote a paper about it in the 1980s um, if they had to accept a smaller northern Ireland it would probably be something they would consider, but they would also enact a school staff policy, and there wouldn't be there wouldn't be two bricks standing together uh, as they left. Now, of course, some of that comes out in conversation, and of course, and and the other thing, of course, I was talking with our with, with our colleague uh, Nick Lowell's about it, and of course, you know, he wasn't shocked. But I think people think when you go and meet people like this, they sort of sit around in balaclavas with. Um, Pistols shoved in their their, their themselves. They don't, and you know, in many regards, in many respects, despite the nature of of the organisations, you'd meet it if, if if you met the other side as well. These are people that can sit down and talk quite openly and commonly and about their fears, their aspirations, their genuine dreads, and football and family and 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 things like this. Um, and yet they're involved in organisation in organisations like that. So you know, in a lot of ways it was exciting, and in a lot of ways it was very, 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 very sad. And where these people came from was interesting because I spoke about other former loyalists I'd met, and and one of them said he would admit that he was Irish. He says, "I'm born on the island of Ireland. I admit I'm Irish. I acknowledge I'm, I'm entitled to an Irish passport. I don't want one, but." By my accent and by where I live, yes, people assume I'm Irish. I can I can accept that. When I asked Bryson and the two other men in the interview, would they ever accept that they are Irish in any shape, sense, or form? They said absolutely not, absolutely not. And I think that's probably the most offensive thing I said all day because you know I was really on my really on my best behavior. But it wasn't a you know it wasn't a threatening interview. 
it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable. And I I think I learned a lot from it. And I'd be very some... rude for in, to invite you to an interview and then threaten you. Though, well, I've I've had that before. <laughs> it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the first time I've been invited to a meeting to. I, I I got a lot out of it, and it's not a, it's not an interview that they they've done before, and it's an interview that since then uh, they've been very interested to see when it comes out. And I also felt I was probably being tested. You know, would I describe Jamie Bryson as arriving in a combat jacket and 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 uh, an armored vehicle? He just I don't know how he got there. He might have walked. He came in very casually and smartly dressed, as did the others, all willing and wanting to talk. But of course conscious that um i'm a uh, to quote a liberal lefty lovey but of course that is how i am known as a liberal lefty lovey uh they're interested to see how they're portrayed and represented and i think going forward at the time i did the interview there were two other interviews that came out one with another part of the uvf and a series of interesting tweets and social media remarks made by a sunday times journalist who'd said that he'd also that he'd also um, had some kind of context with people close to the UVF who have said that if Brexit doesn't go the way they want, there, there could be trouble at mill, as it were. Now, I, what was also interesting, I think Jamie, Jamie Bryson made, made, made it clear that the, you know, I, I said so many difficulties in Ireland, so many more difficulties that could be... Um, you know, could could happen again in Northern Ireland that so few people don't want to happen. And I think he doesn't want it to happen, but I think he often shouts it as a warning in case people aren't listening, particularly if he thinks the Irish government are listening. But there's a lot of very organised loyalists and unionists in, Nor- in Northern Ireland. Don't forget about us. And the, the point that he made as well was, of course, that in his opinion, and you know, the fact is that for however much longer, but Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. So if the United Kingdom leaves the EU, like Scotland has to, uh, and, and Wales has to, and I think, I think uh, Wales voted out, uh, but Scotland voted in, but as part of the UK they leave, he says then Northern Ireland has to leave, and he'll make no concessions to it. And then later on, um, Boris Johnson had this pl- has, has announced his plan for uh, Brexit Ireland, and I was the anger, the the real real anger that the DUP had sort of accepted the deal. The Ulster Unionist Party have not accepted the deal, and basically, the, Bryson said there will be no, there will be no economic island. There will be absolutely no economic island. We are part of Britain, or we're part of the UK. We will follow British rules, the British economics, British interests, and, and all these kind of things. And he was angry about that. And then, in just finishing up the interview, I mean, you know, um, I felt there was a warning in it. And having spoken, you know, to other other people, there is a warning in it that if you think you can force these people into a united island, that they, you know, school staff policy or or, or whatever, but it won't happen likely and it won't happen easily now the statistics are 65 percent of people i think 65 percent of people in the republic of ireland at the last euro elections when they were asked said they would yeah they would vote in favor of united ireland in northern ireland there's been varying 
vary in polls, but it would tend to depend on how Brexit works out, whether they would like a United Ireland or to have the status quo. Um, and I was talking to two two journalists, both of whom um, are of the, you know, they wish to live in a, in a United Ireland. And both of them, both of them said, but it's not going to happen while people like the UVF say no. And they tend to say, people in Ireland need to, Need to come and need to come up and see these people on the twelfth. How many of them? How many of how many of them are? Obviously, the article will, you know will will show more about it. But yeah, it was really, 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 really interesting uh, and exciting. And you know, obviously, if you take me for a pint when I'm back, I can tell you all kinds of other stuff. Uh, it is a fascinating article. It's a, it's a good long read, both about um, uh, the the current um, situation in 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 Belfast and. Um, almost a kind of potted history of of where the loyalist groups are but also an angle to the brexit debate that i don't think gets uh, talked about enough uh really the way that the media portrays the the northern ireland uh, uh, uh element to this topic is is really about whether or not the dup will vote for boris johnson's deal or not and that's only a tiny tiny fraction well well he he has had the 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 purse strings open since he came to power 80 odd days ago. But, you know, as, you, as your interview shows, you know, not only, uh, you know, Sinn Féin and the SDLP and the Alliance and the UUP uh, not in favour of Boris Johnson's deal, uh, but the DUP aren't the, the sum total of uh, the Protestant community uh, themselves. And even within uh, either support for Brexit or, or, or views on the on the Johnson deal, there are different strands of opinion that need to be taken into account. And there are so many different strands to Brexit. And, you know, as it comes down now and it gets closer and closer and closer, Northern Ireland is the big stumbling block. Ireland and Northern Ireland, the island of Ireland, is the big stumbling block. And I think that's why this interview was, was timely, because everybody's saying, oh, you know, Republicans might not like it and they might come out shooting and killing. And you're like, yes, potentially a very small minority was. The, the other thing was, as it stands now, here we are in early October, there is very, 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 very few people, hardly any people in Northern Ireland who want any kind of violence at all. Minuscule, doesn't even register. You can see the response from, you know, from Sinn Féin to, to the, the, the murder in, in Derry of the journalist. Um, but people are conscious that that might change. We know Sunningdale and then the Anglo-Irish Agreement, things that happened before you were born, very young, Matthew. But uh, in the 70s and, and then the 80s, um, when that community, that wasn't Unis loyalist community, um, was sort of roughed up a little bit by ideas about how much input the, United, you know, the uh, Ireland could have in its affairs, responded to it very, very badly. They responded to it very, very well under the Good Friday Agreement. The majority of people there are just enjoying their lives, but its legislative assembly hasn't sat for two years. The issues about Brexit are therefore not discussed in chamber, are not discussed by its elected representatives. It, uh, and even in, even you know, even a consensus from the Northern Irish Parliament isn't isn't taken and isn't heard. And as they head towards as they head towards Brexit, um, no one knows who wants and what and what they'll get. 
everybody is saber rattling. Jamie Bryson, who I met, is the biggest saber rattler. He's he's mentioned a lot of times in his opinion. Uh, if they don't get the Brexit they want, it will lead to violence. But I did think they just seem to want Brexit because it means that it will further uh, a gap, create a, a bigger gap between the North and, and the Republic. Um, but it, you know, I don't think that's going. Don't think that's going to happen. So it was good interview. It, it was good to do. Nice one. Well, I really recommend people have a look at it. It's on the front page of our website now. Um, uh, thank you, Matthew, uh, for, for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. Please uh, rate and review the podcast on whichever, whichever platform you use. It helps people uh, find us and, and help people um, uh, uh, get access to the content that, that we put out. I want to give a big thanks to uh, members of the Hope Action Fund who help sustain the work that our, our research team uh, do. If you're not already a member, uh, please go to hopenothate.org.uk hit the become a member button in the top right corner. Thanks again.